Chapter 19 The Prophet Shipmates, have ye shipped in that ship? Queequeg and I had just left the Pequod, and were sauntering away from the water, for the moment each occupied with his own thoughts, when the above words were put to us by a stranger, who, pausing before us, leveled his massive forefinger at the vessel in question. He was but shabbily apparelled in faded jacket and patched trousers, a rag of a black handkerchief investing his neck. A confluent smallpox had in all directions flowed over his face and left it like the complicated ribbed bed of a torrent when the rushing waters have been dried up. "'Have ye shipped in her?' he repeated. "'You mean the ship Pequod, I suppose,' said I, "'trying to gain a little more time for an uninterrupted look at him. "'Aye, the Pequod, that ship there,' he said, "'drawing back his whole arm and then rapidly shoving it straight out from him "'with the fixed bayonet of his pointed finger darted full at the object. "'Yes,' said I, "'we have just signed the articles.' "'Anything down there about your souls?' "'About what?' "'Oh, perhaps you haven't gotten any,' he said quickly. "'No matter, though. I know many chaps that haven't got any. "'Good luck to them, and they are all the better off for it. "'A soul's a sort of a fifth wheel to a wagon.' "'What are you jabbering about, shipmate?' said I. "'He's got enough, though, to make up for all deficiencies of that sort and other chaps.' "'abruptly said the stranger, placing a nervous emphasis upon the word he. "'Queequeg,' said I, "'let's go. "'This fellow has broken loose from somewhere. "'He's talking about something and somebody we don't know.' "'Stop,' cried the stranger. "'Ye said true. "'Ye hasn't seen Old Thunder yet, have ye?' "'Who's Old Thunder?' said I, "'again riveted with the insane earnestness of his manner.' Captain Ahab. What? The captain of our ship, the Pequod. Aye, among some of us old sailor chaps, he goes by that name. Ye haven't seen him yet, have ye? No, we haven't. He's sick, they say, but is getting better and will be all right again before long. All right again before long, laughed the stranger, with a solemnly derisive sort of laugh. Look ye, when Captain Ahab is all right, then this left arm of mine will be all right, not before. What do you know about him? What did they tell you about him? Say that. They didn't tell much of anything about him, only I've heard that he's a good whale hunter and a good captain to his crew. That's true, that's true, yes, both true enough. But you must jump when he gives an order. "'Step and growl. Growl and go. "'That's the word with Captain Ahab. "'But nothing about that thing that happened to him off Cape Horn long ago "'when he lay like dead for three days and nights. "'Nothing about that deadly skirmish with the Spaniard before the altar in Santa. "'Heard nothing about that, eh? "'Nothing about the silver calabash he spat into, "'and nothing about his losing his leg last voyage, according to the prophecy.' "'Didn't ye hear a word about them matters and something more, eh?' "'No, I don't think ye did. How could ye? Who knows it? 
not all Nantucket, I guess. But how's ever, mayhap, you've heard tell about the leg, and how he lost it? Aye, ye have heard of that, I dare say. Oh, yes, that everyone knows almost. I mean, they know he's only one leg, and that a parmacetti took the other off. My friend, said I, what's all this gibberish of yours about? I don't know and I don't much care, for it seems to me that you must be a little damaged in the head. But if you are speaking of Captain Ahab of that ship there, the Pequod, then let me tell you that I know all about the loss of his leg. All about it? Eh? Sure you do. All? Pretty sure. With finger pointed and eye leveled at the Pequod, the beggar-like stranger stood a moment, as if in a troubled reverie. Then, starting a little, turned and said, "Ye've shipped, have ye? Names down on the papers? Well, well, what's signed is signed, and what's to be will be. And then again, perhaps it won't be, after all. Anyhow, it's all fixed and arranged already, and some sailors or other must go with him, I suppose, as well these any other men. God pity him. Morning tea, shipmates, morning. The ineffable heavens bless ye. I'm sorry I stopped ye. Look here, friend, said I. If you have anything important to tell us, out with it. But if you are only trying to bamboozle us, you are mistaken in your game. That's all I have to say. And it said very well, and I like to hear a chap talk up that way. You are just the man for him, the likes of ye. Morning tea, shipmates, morning. Oh, when ye get there, tell him I've concluded not to make one of them. Ah, uh, my dear fellow, you can't fool us that way. You can't fool us. It is the easiest thing in the world for a man to look as if he had a great secret in him. Morning tea, shipmates, morning. Morning it is, said I. Come along, Queequeg, let's leave this crazy man. But stop, tell me your name, will you? Elijah. Elijah, thought I, and we walked away, both commenting, after each other's fashion, upon this ragged old sailor, and agreed that he was nothing but a humbug, trying to be a bugbear. But we had not gone perhaps above a hundred yards, when chancing to turn a corner and looking back as I did so, who should be seen but Elijah following us, though at a distance? Somehow the sight of him struck me so that I said nothing to Queequeg of his being behind, but passed on with my comrade, anxious to see whether the stranger would turn the same corner that we did. He did, and then it seemed to me that he was dogging us. But... With what intent I could not for the life of me imagine. This circumstance, coupled with his ambiguous half-hinting, half-revealing, shrouded sort of talk, now begat in me all kinds of vague wonderments and half-apprehensions, and all connected with the Pequod, and Captain Ahab, and the leg he had lost, and the Cape Horn fit, and the silver calabash, and what Peleg had said of him when I left the ship the day previous, and the prediction of the Squaw Tistig, and the voyage we had bound ourselves to sail, and a hundred other shadowy things. I was resolved to satisfy myself whether this ragged Elijah was really dogging us or not, 
and with that intent crossed the way with Queequeg, and on that side of it retraced our steps. But Elijah passed on without seeming to notice us. This relieved me, and once more and finally as it seemed to me, I pronounced him in my heart a humbug. Chapter 20 All Astir A day or two passed, and there was great activity aboard the Pequod. Not only were the old sails being mended, but new sails were coming on board, and bolts of canvas and coils of rigging. In short, everything betokened that the ship's preparations were hurrying to a close. Captain Peleg seldom or never went ashore, but sat in his wigwam keeping a sharp lookout upon the hands. Bildad did all the purchasing and providing at the stores, and the men employed in the hold and on the rigging were working till long after nightfall. On the day following Queequeg signing the articles, word was given at all the inns where the ship's company were stopping that their chests must be on board before night, for there was no telling how soon the vessel might be sailing. So Queequeg and I got down our traps, resolving, however, to sleep ashore till the last. But it seems they always give very long notice in these cases, and the ship did not sail for several days. But no wonder. There is a good deal to be done, and there is no telling how many things to be thought of before the Pequod was fully equipped. Everyone knows what a multitude of things, beds, saucepans, knives and forks, shovels and tongs, napkins, nutcrackers and whatnot, are indispensable to the business of housekeeping. Just so with whaling, which necessitates a three years' housekeeping upon the wide ocean, far from all grocers, costermongers, doctors, bakers, and bankers. And though this also holds true of merchant vessels, yet not by any means to the same extent as with whalemen. For besides the great length of the whaling voyage, the numerous articles peculiar to the prosecution of the fishery and the impossibility of replacing them at the remote harbors usually frequented. It must be remembered that of all ships, whaling vessels are the most exposed to accidents of all kinds, and especially to the destruction and loss of the very things upon which the success of the voyage most depends. Hence the spare boats, spare spars, and spare lines and harpoons, and spare everythings almost, but a spare captain and duplicate ship, At the period of our arrival at the island, the heaviest storage of the Pequod had been almost completed, comprising her beef, bread, water, fuel, and iron hoops and staves. But, as before hinted, for some time there was a continual fetching and carrying on board of divers' odds and ends of things, both large and small. Chief among those who did this fetching and carrying was Captain Bildad's sister, a lean old lady of a most determined and defatigable spirit, but withal very kind-hearted, who seemed resolved that, if she could help it, nothing should be found wanting in the Pequod after once fairly getting to sea. At one time she would come on board with a jar of pickles for the steward's pantry, another time with a bunch of quills for the chief mate's desk, where he kept his log a third time with a roll of flannel for the small of someone's rheumatic back. Never did any woman better deserve her name, which was Charity, Aunt Charity as everybody called her, 
and like a sister of charity did this charitable Aunt Charity bustle about hither and thither, ready to turn her hand and heart to anything that promised to yield safety, comfort, and consolation to all on board a ship in which her beloved brother Bildad was concerned, in which she herself owned a score or two of well-saved dollars. But it was startling to see this excellent-hearted Quakeress coming on board, as she did the last day, with a long oil ladle in one hand and a still longer whaling lance in the other. Nor was Bildad himself nor Captain Peleg at all backward. As for Bildad, he carried about with him a long list of the articles needed, and at every fresh arrival, down went his mark opposite that article upon the paper. Every once in a while, Peleg came hobbling out of his whalebone den, roaring at the men down the hatchways, roaring up to the riggers at the masthead, and then concluded by roaring back into his wigwam. During these days of preparation, Queequeg and I often visited the craft, and as often I asked about Captain Ahab and how he was, and when he was going to come on board his ship. To these questions they would answer that he was getting better and better, and was expected aboard every day. Meantime, the two captains, Peleg and Bildad, could attend to everything necessary to fit the vessel for the voyage. If I had been downright honest with myself, I would have seen very plainly in my heart that I did but half fancy being committed this way to so long a voyage without once laying my eyes on the man who was to be the absolute dictator of it so soon as the ship sailed out upon the open sea. But when a man suspects any wrong, it sometimes happens that if he be already involved in the matter, he insensibly strives to cover up his suspicions, even from himself. And much this way it was with me. I said nothing, and tried to think nothing. At last it was given out that sometime next day the ship would certainly sail. So next morning, Queequeg and I took a very early start. Chapter 21 Going Aboard It was nearly six o'clock, but only gray and perfect misty dawn when we drew nigh the wharf. There are some sailors running ahead there, if I see right, said I to Queequeg. It can't be shadows. She's off by sunrise, I guess. Come on. Avast, cried a voice, whose owner at the same time coming close behind us, laid a hand upon both our shoulders, and then, insinuating himself between us, stood stooping forward a little in the uncertain twilight, strangely peering from Queequeg to me. It was Elijah. Going aboard? Hands off, will you, said I. Looky here, said Queequeg, shaking himself. Go away. Ain't going aboard, then. Yes, we are, said I. "'But what business is that of yours? "'Do you know, Mr. Elijah, that I consider you a little impertinent?' "'No, no, no, I wasn't aware of that,' said Elijah, "'slowly and wonderingly looking from me to Queequeg "'with the most unaccountable glances. "'Elijah,' said I, "'you will oblige my friend and me by withdrawing. "'We are going to the Indian and Pacific Oceans "'and would prefer not to be detained.' "'Ye be, be,' "'Coming back afore breakfast?' "'He's cracked, Queequeg,' said I. "'Come on.' "'Hello,' cried stationary Elijah, "'hailing us when we'd removed a few paces. 
Never mind him, said I. Queequeg, come on. But he stole up to us again, and suddenly clapping his hand on my shoulder said, Did you see anything looking like men going towards that ship a while ago? Struck by this plain matter-of-fact question, I answered, saying, Yes, I thought I did see four or five men, but it was too dim to be sure. Very dim, very dim, sighed Elijah, morning to ye. Once more we quitted him, but once more he came softly after us, and touching my shoulder again said, See if you can find him now, will ye? Find who? Morning tea, morning tea, he rejoined, again moving off. Oh, I was going to warn ye against... But never mind, never mind, it's all one, all in the family, too. Sharp frost this morning, ain't it? Goodbye to ye. Shan't see ye again very soon, I guess, unless it's before the grand jury. And with these cracked words he finally departed, leaving me for the moment in no small wonderment at his frantic impudence. At last, stepping on board the Pequod, we found everything in profound quiet, not a soul moving. The cabin entrance was locked within. The hatches were all on and lumbered with coils of rigging. Going forward to the forecastle, we found the slide of the scuttle open. Seeing a light, we went down and found only an old rigger there, wrapped in a tattered pea-jacket. He was thrown at whole length upon two chests, his face downwards and enclosed in his folded arms. The profoundest slumber slept upon him. "'Those sailors we saw, Queequeg, where can they have gone to?' said I, looking dubiously at the sleeper. But it seemed that, when on the wharf, Queequeg had not at all noticed what I now alluded to. Hence I would have thought myself to have been optically deceived in that matter, were it not for Elijah's otherwise inexplicable question. But I beat the thing down, and again marking the sleeper, jocularly hinted to Queequeg that perhaps we had best sit up with the body, telling him to establish himself accordingly. He put his hand upon the sleeper's rear, as though feeling as if it were soft enough, and then, without more ado, sat quietly down there. "'Gracious, Queequeg, don't sit there,' said I. "'Oh, pretty good seat,' said Queequeg. "'My country way. Won't hurt his face.' "'Face,' said I. "'Call that his face. "'Very benevolent countenance, then. "'How hard he breathes. "'He's heaving himself. "'Get off, Queequeg. "'You are heavy. "'It's grinding the face of the poor. "'Get off, Queequeg. "'Look, he'll twitch you off soon. "'I wonder he don't wake.' "'Queequeg removed himself "'to just beyond the head of the sleeper "'and lighted his tomahawk pipe. "'I sat at the feet.' We kept the pipe passing over the sleeper from one to the other. Meanwhile, upon questioning him in his broken fashion, Queequeg gave me to understand that, in his land, owing to the absence of sofas of all sorts, the king, chiefs, and great people generally, were in the custom of fattening some of the lower orders for Ottomans. And to furnish a house comfortably in that respect, you'd only to buy up eight or ten lazy fellows and lay them round in the piers and alcoves. Besides, it was very convenient on an excursion, much better than those garden chairs which are convertible into walking sticks. Upon occasion, a chief calling his attendant 
and desiring him to make a sofa of himself under a spreading tree, perhaps in some damp, marshy place. While narrating these things, every time Queequeg received the tomahawk from me, he flourished the hatchet side of it over the sleeper's head. "'What's that for, Queequeg? "'Pretty easy kill, oh, pretty easy.' He was going on with some wild reminiscences about his tomahawk pipe, which it seemed had in its two uses both brained his foes and soothed his soul, when we were directly attracted to the sleeping rigor. The strong vapor now completely filling the contracted hole, it began to tell upon him. He breathed with a sort of muffledness, then seemed troubled in the nose, then revolved over once or twice, then sat up and rubbed his eyes. Hello, he breathed at last. Who be ye, smokers? Shipped men, answered I. When does she sail? Aye, aye, you're going to be in her, be ye? She sails today. The captain came aboard last night. What captain? Ahab? Who but him indeed? I was going to ask him some further questions concerning Ahab when we heard a noise on deck. "'Hello, Starbuck's astir,' said the rigger. "'He's a lively chief mate, that good man, and a pious. "'But all alive now, I must turn to.' "'And so saying, he went on deck, and we followed. "'It was now clear sunrise. "'Soon the crew came on board in twos and threes. "'The riggers bestirred themselves, the mates were actively engaged, "'and several of the shore people were busy in bringing various last things on board.' Meanwhile, Captain Ahab remained invisibly enshrined within his cabin. Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.